Welcome to another episode of The Illustrious Gentleman, the place where comic book artists and top blokes Scott Garleski and Ryan Cody talk about life, work, comics and booze. Follow the show on Twitter at TIG underscore show and online at www.tigshow.com T-I-G-S-H-O-W dot com Don't forget to let us know what you're drinking while you're listening to the show. Go on yourself, big man. Okay, so uh, today is uh, – I lied when I was telling you by emails that today was our one-year anniversary of recording. It was actually yesterday, last night. So if I remember correctly, the first couple times we recorded, we did it at like 11, like 10, 30, 11 at night. And so uh, according to Facebook, my Facebook memories or something like that, we recorded a year ago uh, last night, but it doesn't matter. It's been about a year. And that first one we recorded, we've never released. So maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll do that this week. Maybe we'll never do it. Who knows? Oh, we could start up a Patreon um, and make that a patron-only episode. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that would go over real well. But anyways. $50. So today we're, so today we're doing like a Q&A kind of people send in some questions to, yeah, to various, uh, various social media accounts. I didn't look at your – I didn't look at your posts. So I don't know if there's any – uh, Ryan specific questions oh, yeah. in there. I looked at but all the of questions. Yours. Okay, yeah, the questions I got I are kind of general it. questions. So I'll, yeah, so you know, I'll, I'll ask yeah, you, and okay. then yeah, we can all both right. we can both an- we can both answer every question. Sure. Yeah, you know, I I think I pitched you this idea a couple of weeks ago. Maybe you did. I yeah. I I you know the idea of doing like a live AMA through Twitter or something sounds nice, but nobody fucking listens to this thing and. Then, as soon as I started reading questions that were actually submitted through Facebook, I didn't get any on Twitter. Everything came through Facebook. Yeah, Facebook. Um, you know, I see headlines for articles all the time. You know, uh, uh, Mike Huckabee does, you know, a Reddit AMA and goes horribly wrong. That's I'm starting to think that this is the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it's just... Uh... Like so, I think I've mentioned before on one of our other shows that one of my like least favorite parts of uh, talk radio is when they do the call-in segment, and you know we I we got some questions to work with. We got some questions to work with today, not a bunch, and then a lot of them were just uh, like friends of ours being assholes. So we'll we'll make do with what we have, and uh, we'll we'll try to we'll try to make uh, magic out of horse shit. So. What are you? What are you drinking today, Scott? I saw the photo of it. it, it I like the I like the minimalist design of it. Oh, do you? I I I I've, this reminds me of something, and I can't put my finger on it. Like a a poster or something, or some sort of some sort of ad campaign. Well, that's um yeah, that's that kind of design is kind of like generic when you don't want a name brand or there is no Vitamin name brand water or something. I don't know. Yeah, or like uh, if you watch Lost, that looks kind of like the <laughs> the all the logos of the Dharma <laughs> shit. Uh, but yeah, so so where did you get it and, and what is it? Uh, okay, so this thing is from 10 Barrel Brewing Company. It's Raspberry Sour. Uh, it also says Crush in big letters on it. I don't know which 
is the name of this particular beer. There's some writing here. What does it say? So the, the text on the can is brewed to appeal to any palate or virgins of the sour craze. This award-winning beer is crisp and refreshing. No, it's not. Made for you to crush anywhere, anytime. The time is now. Hashtag crush life. I fucking hate this already. Hashtag crush life. You can crush this beer. Just, oh my God. I'm sorry, everybody. This is is bullshit. Illustrious gentlemen, this is not. This is... No, you know this is am I cool yet, frat boy garbage. Ugh. Yeah, at first I at first I saw the picture, I thought maybe, and you know, I don't, I'm not one who who assigns gender stereotypes, but I assumed that maybe that was like one of your wife's beers that was left in the fridge. No, or something well, like that. you know, I hopped down to Fry's again last night and got all of the weirdest shit I could find. And this, oh, good. Maybe yeah, I this should do is, that. This is um, this was the last can they had of this thing. I wasn't even sure it was in the right place. I mean, it, it looks so different from everything else. I thought it might be an energy drink or something. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I well, I hate the contents as much as I hate the can too. It's like it's like Warhead the beer. All right, save that magic for the end of the show, Scott. Uh, Jeez. Yeah. Okay. Jumping just a, just jumping cut ahead. this out and tack it onto the end. You won't I do won't that. do that. No. So I'm drinking a uh, Kona Brewing ugh, uh, ugh, Fire Rock pa- <laughs> Fire Rock Pale Ale, which uh, a friend of mine suggest uh, months ago suggested Kona Brewing, and I don't know if he was what which of their beers he was suggesting, but I got this Pale Ale. It's 5.8 percent, so it's it's an American Pale Ale. It's not as strong as like a an IPA. And bitterness. And uh, no, uh, yeah, it's got low content. IBUs too. Okay. Yeah, so alcohol content is only 5.8, so it's like a, I don't know, like a kilt lifter or something, even less than that. Um, and so I went on uh, beeradvocate.com, as always, well, as most of the time, and this time I went straight. It's, so it's got like a it's got like an 82 by the Beer Advocate a- experts. It's rated 82 out of 100, but the bros rate it 90 out of 100. I'm nothing if not a bro. So I clicked on, uh, I wanted to see the lowest rating for it on beeradvocate.com. And it is by a, excuse me while I open it. It is by username tastes a lot. Taste a lot? Okay. Tastes, tastes a lot. A lot. All one word. Tastes a lot. And uh, tastes a lot is only rated seven beers in two years. So the name tastes a lot <laughs> it doesn't leave me convinced. Uh, and his profile photo, his profile photo tells you everything you need to know about this guy. He's wearing a suit with sunglasses on and he's in a building. So you know what kind of guy tastes a lot is right there. Uh, he, he describes the smell as wet cardboard and he describes the taste like paper and adjuncts, which I don't know what adjuncts. I don't, I didn't know that was a noun. I don't know what that means. He calls it the worst excuse for a beer he's ever had. And it makes rolling rock taste good. So First of all, Rolling Rock does taste good, tastes a lot. A better example would be it tastes better than like MGD or Natural Ice or some bullshit like that. Makes Raspberry Sour Crush uh, taste good. Yeah. So I'm anticipating a beer that just tastes kind of like an amber, like an Alaskan amber or something like that. But let's, let's, let's first smell. Not much of a smell. First taste. Not much of a taste. So I'll uh, get back to it at the end of the show. After Crush has, has turned you back around to loving it, we'll get back to my Kona Brewing at the end of the show. 
Okay, do you want to uh, go first with some of your questions, or you want me to go first with one of mine? All right, so you solicited questions for me, and I did the same for you. But neither, I mean, I didn't get any that were specific oh. to you. Other than uh, Aaron Campbell wants to know if you'd rather kick a baby or French kiss Donald Trump. And I told him that was easy because the baby's going down. Oh, really? Uh, that, that'd be my answer. I think, uh, I think Donnie would be embarrassed as fuck. That'd be funny. I guess so. He's probably not very good at it, though. It's probably, like, real sloppy. Yeah. You know, like, it's his, you know, his tongue just lays there and he just, like, drools a lot. That's probably how That's he does true. it. That's true. He's probably only used to dudes right. on him. That's right. All right, so I'll just jump in. I'll do one that uh, Ryan Quackenbush sent, and he sent a, a long one that was very multi-layered. Oh. He's he's much more – he's a finer artist than, than either of us, so I'm going to try to uh, distill his question down into one or two sentences. Does your work evolve natu- – this is by Ryan Quackenbush, uh, artist in Phoenix who's great. Does your work evolve naturally, or do you make it a point to try new things and go in stages in your work life? So now I'm paraphrasing. So – I assume I interpreted that as: Do you go out of your way to try new styles, and do you ever choose style over substance, or does that even enter your your thought process? Style over substance. I, I mean, superficially in line work, I don't know if that's applicable. I mean, in storytelling, probably, and and there are times when you have to do that, and it's appropriate, or you're asked to do it. I think when you sent me his question, it was. I read it as a, uh, as an artist. Do you have conscious phases that you go through? Right. Yeah. Do you do you make? So I read it as: Do you make constant choices in how you're going to approach a project based on a type of outcome you want? Um. Well, I mean, I, I yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll see things elsewhere that I like that I'll try to replicate. Um. I think everybody does that, right? I mean, you everybody starts out just sort of parroting what they see and you you sort of find yourself doing that. Everybody's inspired by something, but at the beginning you're, uh, I can't really speak for anybody, but I mean, yeah, you're, you're trying to do what other people are doing. You're, you want to make it look like that. That's the goal. And you sort of find yourself in that process. You find your interpretation of that thing, that you like um you won't like it yourself probably but but it works um and other people respond to it positively hopefully but i i don't i don't have conscious phases that i go through i mean i there there's not like uh like cubism and whatever other isms i i don't know any of that stuff you know you know man i'm drawing monkeys with machine guns and shit i i don't approach what i do with any sort of real uh serious thought other than getting it done yeah i'm kind of the same way like sometimes when i i always get excited when a new project starts because then i feel like it's a clean slate and i can set a set a new style and then by page like by the second panel that's all thrown out the window (sighs) but i i there are there are projects that i would like to do where i want to go in and say like a goal of mine is to make every every page like more than half shadows, right? More than half heavy blacks, you know, kind of a like a Frank Miller or Mike Bingola or Toth kind of sure kind of approach. And I I think that would be a lot of fun, and that would be a con- conscious approach I would make. 
Uh, but I haven't really had the chance, you know, I have lately, I haven't been working on books that lend itself to that, but I think, you know, I think a better artist than me could figure out a way, like, I think that Mike Mignola could work in any, any genre and it would look good. So that's a personal failing of mine, but I don't go into most projects thinking I want to try to work in this style. I just go into each new project thinking I want to try something. I want it to be better than the last one. So let me see if yeah, I can try something, I... but that never I guess that doesn't, that doesn't about sustain. it when I started Dracula at Boom after doing the the Codebreakers book. I, I had it in my head that I wasn't going to use a straight edge and all of my lines were going to be freehand. And I, I was going to I wanted it to look like. Uh, um, shit, man, this was going somewhere, too. Fascinating. And, yeah. Guy Davis. I wanted it to look like Guy Davis. Oh, yeah. But it was just me. Yeah, everybody. Again. I mean, it everyone sucks. should want their shit to work like Guy Davis. Yeah. No, I think that's I, – I think everyone goes into new projects hoping to 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 elevate to that next level, and it probably rarely does. Thanks for the question, Ryan. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Do you have something there, Scott? Uh, sure. Uh, I, I, I have a question this morning from Mike. And Mike asks, what is the most important thing to consider when setting up a panel layout? So this is for both of us. Jesus, that's a good one. Money. Yeah, the most important thing to consider when setting up a panel layout. So I assume this means how you lay out panels on a page, not a single panel. You can take it to mean whatever you like. The way I break down a page and break down panels is I read the script and I decide which panels need the most need to be the bigger panels. They have the most action or the most dialogue. And then I decide which panels really could almost be done without and if they can you get rid of them and if they can't you know they're little storytelling moments and those are smaller panels or inset panels or you know not typical grid panels uh, so that's where I, I, I base it all off the script and the impact of what needs to be told it's all storytelling decisions for me but then I have also in the past if I have an eight panel page sometimes just as a challenge to myself and to make it easy I'll just make two rows of four panels and just you know tackle it that way I'll, I'll do a, a grid as a way to challenge myself or just to to get started because in in this business in, in my in my experience i just got to get the work i just got to get started i got to get the work going so um i don't sit there and labor over thumbnails and do two or three types of page you know thumbnail layouts for each page or anything like that what about you master of master of panel layout and master design of panel layout uh uh clarity i guess if i had to boil it down to to one thing that's probably most important um both of action and uh a, a relation to its place in the rest of the story or the page so if, if if the action is dude picking up a phone draw the dude picking up a phone and not his feet standing in front of the table where the phone is yeah, but you can draw the hand picking up the phone. You don't have to draw the full dude in the no, background you don't. and all that shit. Yeah, but and it I think should be uh, picking I mean, I think, up the phone. And I think something like that. So that's an example where there's two options there. You can draw the whole dude picking up the phone and put, or not. Can't draw him picking it up and putting it to his ear. You can draw him picking it up. Or you can draw him holding it to his ear. But I think if you do a close up on that, I mean, depends on how important the phone call is. But if you do a close up of the guy lifting the phone off the receiver, I think that storytelling wise has more of an impact than seeing the guy hold the phone because you're you're by showing a close up of that action, you're implying that whatever is about to happen is important. Like that phone is important. That phone call is important. Oh my god, this job is rocket science. Thanks, Mike. 
Does Mike have a last name, Scott? Did you get that? Uh, I did. Does it matter? Okay, it's Mike Vert. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Um, Okay, so I got one. Here's one. So I'll save. uh, I'll save one of these for kind of later. But here's one by Jay Wilson. What event or book made you want to become a professional comic artist, and what project made you feel as though you've made it? We kind of talked about this before, but not that Mm -hmm. second part. So for me, uh, seeing I've I've said it ad nauseum, but uh, uh, Powers Number One by Oming and Bendis really made me realize I could do it, and it made me realize there's another way to become a comic artist, and there's different stories to tell because that was the first like non first non superhero book I ever read. It was drawn in a non-mainstream superhero style. So uh, Powers number 1, if I can equate it down to one uh, one thing, would be Powers number 1. And then for the second part of that is what project made you feel as though you had made it? And my answer for that is... My answer for that one is uh, I, I don't feel like I've made it yet. So no project has made me feel as though I've made it. I feel like I'm still trying to break through, um, you know... So I, I have fans and I have a, a loyal fan base, but I don't think I've made it as a comic book artist yet. So I'm still working on that. Um, what about you, Scott? Was there a certain book or anything that made you want to become the uh, artist? And then have, do you feel like you've made it yet? Well, I mean, I'm doing this full time. It's how I support my family and pay my bills. So I guess if we're going to use, you know, that lingo made it i i I guess technically uh i i feel i've made it that's a i don't know uh no i mean i don't know does anybody feel like they've made it they really if you asked anybody uh, i don't know i don't know Uh, everybody looks up to somebody else right so i don't know you could pose that I mean, look, I, I've only been doing this professionally for, this is my eighth year now, I guess. I've only been doing it full time for three. Uh, I I don't feel like I've made it. I still feel like the new guy. I'm sure if you ask Phil Hester or something, he might give you the same kind of answer. No, he, he hasn't made it. I mean, not in his eyes. You know, it. yeah, I, I, I don't know what that means. Made it, it's so subjective. But um, what what made me think I could do it? I, I remember X Men number one and those five awesome covers, and that made me want to do it. It probably wasn't the time when I thought I could do it. I don't know when that time would have been either. I still don't think I can do it, which which plays into the made it. I I, I don't think I'm capable of doing this job well, so I don't think I've made it. Yeah, I could see that, and I've I've said before too that um, I don't know if. Me personally, and I think you are, but I don't know if I am. I don't know if I'm cut out to do this for the next. Like, I don't know if this would be my, if this is my last job I'll ever have, you know, prior to being a greeter, you know, when I'm in my 60s or whatever, or dying of a heart attack, you know, next year. I don't know if this is the last job I'll ever have. Whereas, just because I don't I don't think I have the skill set that leads itself to a career. I have a very kind of niche skill set. Uh Whereas I think you're more versatile, and so I think I think you could do this for as long as you wanted. Where I think eventually I'm going to run my course, uh, but that's another that's a whole other conversation on uh, self doubt and shit like that. So uh, why don't thanks Jay by the way, 
And I feel like I haven't seen Jay in a couple of years. I feel like I used to see him at every comic event in Arizona. I feel like I haven't seen him in a while. So uh, we miss you, Jay. Yeah. All right. Uh, Scott, what do you got there? All right. Um, yeah, I should probably take these in order because I don't know. I'm going to forget one. I will take one from honorary illustrious gentleman in front of the show, Mitch Gerrits, and ask you... Uh, this is a shit question. Sorry, Mitch. Uh, which of your kids is your favorite? <laughs> that is a shit question. Uh, I love all my children equally. Great. Yeah, good answer. Uh, well, I mean, you know, I, I love them all equally, but two of them will be gone in a year and a half, and then it'll be just me and the youngest for like four years. So the youngest will be so, your least favorite. No, I. well, I mean, I'll, I'll get to I've never had a – I've never – so my first two are separated only by 18 months. So I've never really had – uh, I've never really been a parent to just one child before. So I think it could be a really interesting four years, you know, when the other two are off to college and it's just me and him, you know, I think it could be really fun. And who knows in four years I could, you know, he could be, you know, he could be a kid failing out of high school and my oldest could, you know, be at MIT going for his postgraduate. So then of course the answer is going to switch, uh, <laughs> you know, but as of right now, they're all three in high school and middle school. Or no, one of them's out of school. But you know, they're all three living at home. As long as they're all three living at home, they're all three my favorite. Thanks for that, Mitch. Now Thanks, my kids Mitch. are going to be crying. My kids are going to be crying if they listen to this. Although my oldest told me he's not an avid illustrious gentleman listener. Now nobody is. So no, like he's got anything better to do. He's outside. He's out in the living room playing video games right now. Let's see. I got another. Uh, I got another kind of softball before we get into a bigger one. And this is by uh, Frank King on Facebook. And Frank is a guy who I knew in high school. So I haven't seen Frank in 20 something years. And he was a friend of my brother, but we're friends on Facebook. And he, I'm going to paraphrase one of his too. And this has to do with kind of the overall media of comics now. But do you think the success of superhero movies hurts or helps the industry? Or I guess how it affects you, if it affects you at all. Hmm. How it affects me personally? I don't think it affects me personally. Um, I think it's probably, from my knowledge of nothing at all and zero business acumen, I, I think it might be responsible for the industry continuing to exist at this point. That That's just my know-nothing opinion looking from the way outside. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it injects a whole lot of money and uh, you know, the, those things only exist because there are, are existing properties and um, these giant corporations right now are just babysitting these, these trademarks um, just to have the movies. So yeah, I think they're, they're extraordinarily helpful. I think. Uh, e even if they might not be the best thing for um, uh, the little guys, I think we owe a lot of the, the current uh, climate of prosperity to to those uh, those superhero flicks. Yeah, I mean, this is really more of a question for a retailer because I don't know. I mean, I don't know how well Doctor Strange sells because of the Doctor Strange movie, but I know that uh, I know that these like the fact that they make a B movie or a B character like Doctor Strange into a big movie shows how important the movies are or how 
how people respond to the movies as opposed to the comics. Doctor Strange, as far as I know, never had a, a, a long, long run in comics, but they still made a blockbuster movie about him. And uh, so I don't know. I I guess it's helping the overall industry and the fact that everyone now knows what comics are. Comics used to be looked down upon and shit, and people used to make fun of you. I used to get made fun of for wearing my X-Men t-shirt, whereas now if I still had that shirt, it'd be like fucking vintage, my X-Men number one. You talked about the X-Men number one cover. I had that on a t-shirt, the five interlocking you know, images on one t-shirt, you know, if I had that on now, one t-shirt? You know, yeah, I th- yeah, I think so. Or maybe, yeah. I mean, obviously it was shrunk down, but okay. I think it was all five. I think it was all five covers on one t-shirt. I was just going to say, you're um, a fat kid. I, no, shut up. No, I'm a fat adult. I was not a fat kid. <laughs> I think I also had like an X-Force uh, or not an X-Force, uh, the new mutants 100 cover where they're kind of busted out and all had all yeah. the number 100s behind it. Yeah. I think I had that on a t-shirt too, but anyways, so I think, I think it helps in, how the how comics and 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 comics in the culture are respected i think they have more you know people don't look down on it as much but i don't know how how much it directly like you said other than babysitting copyrights i don't know how how much it affects me or other creators i know if anything it might affect creators more more poorly at like shows and stuff because people go there just because they know the movies they don't care about comics that I draw or they don't care about the artwork that I have on display because it doesn't look exactly like Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man and that's all they know so the pop culture sensation that comics have created is good for convention owners and it's good for movie uh, movie studios and it's good for people who own movie theaters but I don't know if that money doesn't trickle down it stops at that level I don't think it trickles down I don't know you know, I don't know if these comics are selling that much better because there's a movie about them, and then than they would if there weren't. Maybe because I I, I I don't I don't know if it's translating into sales. Like I said, it'd be well, a question for I, retailers. I think the attention that it garners translates into more titles, which creates more jobs for guys. I suppose. Yeah, maybe. I don't Who know. I don't, somebody's gonna fact check us on this and call us idiots anyway. No, they won't. No, they won't because um, nobody listens to the show. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's just just dreadful just dreadful this raspberry sour just uh you fucked up 10 barrel you fucked up uh, there's like there's like there's like a thousand like housewives of malibu who disagree with you oh just it's just terrible just uh or husbands of malibu i don't want to uh, i want to be fair to everyone uh, it's just like every sip is just like jamming a handful of sour patch kids into my mouth that should be part of the that should be part of the the show though right we have to finish like you can't pour it out no i'm not gotta, yeah gotta, i can't pour it out i mean no just yeah all right i have a question from a good fellow and probably would make an excellent guest uh matt hollingsworth who is a, a colorist extraordinaire and home brewer uh-oh yeah so i mean can you, yeah, we can should you have... find a more perfect guest than this guy? Um, so he asks, scientifically speaking, can Ryan explain the difference between a lager and an ale? Okay, now I will be fair and say that I did see that question. I didn't search your thread, but that was the one that showed up when I was scrolling Facebook. And I didn't want to look like an idiot. So I did actually <laughs> I, so so I did I did actually research that, but my research <laughs> kind of led me to what I was already thinking just that ales are kind of heavier more flavorful 
uh, maltier, darker colored beers and lagers are more American style, Bud Light, Budweiser, PBR, that kind of shit. And then, so I kind of like if someone showed me a beer and said, is this an, a lager or an ale? I would know, but I didn't know the reasons why. And it has to do with hops and the kind of hops that are used and all that stuff. And, and the, you know, uh, uh, an ale is more of like an old style beer. It's been around a lot longer than lagers. Lagers are fairly recent to the global history. Yeah. Are you editing so, uh, out these belches? This, I will. The show is called Illustrious Gentleman. I will edit out okay. the belches, but, right. but now I have to edit out talking about the belches. Well, now you have to leave them in. God damn it, Scott. All right. All right. So, so I do kind of know, and I normally don't try to burp, but when I got to burp, I got to burp. Um, I mean, Fuck, um, uh, you know, I I pay the rent in this apartment. I can burp if I want. So I I I did. I don't know the I don't know the scientific reasons behind it. And he would be a great guest to have on because that would be he could talk comics better than either of us, and he could talk beer better than either of us. But uh, yeah, thanks thanks for calling me out on that, Matt. Did you know the difference, Scott? Yeah, it's what you just said. Okay. Uh, yeah. So we can both read Wikipedia basically. All right. So, uh, the last question I have is for, is from, sorry, it's for both of us. Mm -hmm. And this is a rambling email we got from, uh, our buddy, John Derek West. Anyways, John Derek West, talented artist in his own right, tends to, uh, tends to have a hundred thoughts at once and, and conveys them all at once. (laughs) So I'm going to, I'm going to, I edited his question for for, for content. Right. Um, so once you do your layouts and you have your editor's approval, so it doesn't even make sense now. So you basically, you're, so basically the job is go ahead, start start working, right? And if you have to make every any changes at the last minute, how do you feel about that? Especially if um, you might not be getting, you not, might not be billing for those changes. And he basically wants to know our advice on what's the business past. I mean, past getting the job. So you're a good artist, you got the job what goes into the business part of that or dealing with other professionals on the part of that. And I have very limited experience dealing with editors. It, it rarely happens. Uh, but the, the couple times that I have dealt with editors, almost all their suggestions are beneficial. And in the instance of um, an editor, I had a dark horse, all of his changes made the pages way better, like a hundred percent better. So uh, Chris Warner was the editor, by the way, and he was an artist. So, but he had good advice, and then whenever I even have a you know a guy who's paying me, a writer's paying me to to develop their their comic or to draw their comic, whenever they have changes, for the most part they come in. Uh, whenever whenever I make the changes they suggest, for the most part they're better also. So I don't think it's you can't have the problem of too many cooks in the kitchen. But I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to have someone else's opinion, whether it's right or wrong, or whether you make those changes or not. I think it's a, it's a valid discourse. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I agree. I think there is a, a widespread, uh, lack of, um, true constructive criticism. I think, it's either extremes of people blowing smoke at you or haters going to hate. And uh, very rarely do you ever get any real creative advice that would, that would actually improve a project. Um, But the, the right editor can, can, can push those buttons on you. I mean, if, if you're really willing to listen, 
there, there are guys, you know, that have been doing this for, you know, 15, 20 years who know what they're talking about. So if you just listen, um, not only will the project be better for it, but you will be better for it going forward. Yeah. And those guys exist. Changes happen uh, when you get, I had a lot of free rain on, on Copperhead. Um, I, I can't speak for Jay. I don't know if he was happy with every panel and every page. Um, I, I remember only getting pushback on one panel in the first issue and uh yeah but it but it happens i mean I, we had stuff on uh some stuff happen at the beginning of uh of lost boys that involved a good amount of redrawing but you just do it it's just part of the job uh you know a, a stand-up editor and uh, a, a reputable publisher We'll, we'll eat that and we'll take care of you and make sure you're compensated for that stuff. But sometimes it doesn't happen. If you feel you need to speak up in those instances, then do it. Uh, especially, you, you know, if it's out of, it was out of your control. It was, it was no fault of yours that this stuff is happening. Sure, it's still work and time that you're putting into it. So it, it's fair for you to ask that. Nobody should be offended by you asking to be compensated for for your time and effort, but it happens. And part of being a pro is, you know, taking care of it when it happens. Everybody else along the chain is, is, is in the same boat as you, and you guys all have to pull the same direction. So, I mean, take care of yourself, but also, you know, you know, don't be that one guy in the chain who, you know, who throws shade on shit. So I guess that's not a clear answer at all. No, it is, and it basically comes down to I mean, you don't wanna you don't wanna feel like you're taken advantage of, but you don't also wanna be the dude who's a pain in the ass to work with because doing those changes and finishing that book might be the last work you do for this certain company or this certain editor because right. yeah, Mitch kinda touched on it last week, but I mean they gotta work with you. They wanna take care of you and they want you to be happy, but the job is the job and if you're gonna be a pain in the ass the whole way through that'll be the last job you do for them, you know, whoever that is. And so, you know, and then kind of using your example, the way I work on the current book that I'm doing, I send the guy layouts and sometimes they're very rough layouts. Sometimes they're pencils, but you know, I don't, you know, so sometimes when the page is done and it's colored and all that, he wants changes and that's fine. He's paying my, he's paying me to do something. He's paying me to give him a completed page. He's happy with and so rather than send him thumbnails and then rescan pencils and send him detailed pencils and then send him detailed inks and then send him colors, I'm happy to go from layouts to finished colors before I send him anything else. And if something changes in that process that he's not happy with, I'm happy to make those changes afterwards because that way I don't have to do tight pencils and I don't have to scan after pencils and I don't have to scan after inks. Um, so it's a choice that I make. I would rather show them a complete page and then make changes afterwards. And to me, that's all, you know, I don't consider a page done until he gives me a thumbs up on it. So I don't ever, you know, I don't ever scoff or be like, Oh, that's bullshit. If I got to redo this, this face or redo this panel or anything like that, that's part of the, that's part of the working arrangement I have and the, and the way I want to work. But yeah, basically the second half of that question, what's the business past being a great artist and getting the job, just do the job and don't be an asshole. It's pretty simple. I don't think there's much more to that. Be easy to work with. Cool. 
Thanks, JD. I have a few more questions. Do you want to keep going? Or, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. End this thing right here. No, let's keep going. Great. I got a, I got another like twenty minutes before I have to take my grown adult child to work. Oh God, this is oh, this is just the worst, worst beer. <laughs> All right, um, uh, Matt Goodall. Um, I'm gonna modify his question to make it applicable to the two of us. Um, okay. How okay. do you successfully balance a a day job? And also comics and completing work. Mm, well, for me, I don't think I ever did because, like I mentioned in last week's podcast, working working for books that I wasn't getting paid for on top of a nine to five job kind of led to me not spending any time with my family, and I think led to problems within the family structure. Yeah. And, and then by the time I was doing more comics. I was either working part-time at my 9 to 5 or I had moved up here and started doing it full-time. So it I didn't really have much time to where I was where I had actual deadlines. You know, I I would work on my own stuff and I would dick around, but as far as books that had deadlines and that I was getting paid for, there was only one or two that I did while I still had a full-time job and I did not manage it well. So, I don't know if I could like right now I could go get a 9 to 5 job and that would help with you know finances and stuff like that but there's no way i could still do comics there's no way i could still do 15 20 25 pages of comics a month and hold down a job i don't understand people that can do that but what about you you did it for a lot longer than i did yeah coffee or caffeine and marriage counseling Uh, yeah (laughs) next jason peterson asks uh it's a a a Fight Club S question. Anyone in history, who would you fight? Anyone in history, who would I fight? Who would you fight? Well, I would want to win, and I don't have any <laughs> skills in the fighting arena. So I would want to pick someone shorter than me, so that really limits the historical figures down to like 5%. Some starving Somali girl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most, probably a child. Uh, All right, so... But maybe, maybe I would go with like Napoleon, because he's probably... Well, although well he no, had military you, now training. you need to pick a famous child. So... Ryan Cody says he would fight Anne Frank. All right, next question. <laughs> what about you? What? That was who would for you me. fight? Oh, uh, all right. Gary yeah, Fitzgerald. I beat, the shit, I beat the shit out of them. Yeah. So uh-huh. Gary Fitzgerald, the voice of our uh, of our intro, asks, yes. are, "Are are you Waldorf or am I?" And for anybody not in the know, Waldorf and Statler are the two grumpy fucks up in the balcony who yell at the Muppets. Yeah, he he asked on my Facebook page, "Am I Statler or are you?" Yeah, I'm the and one so with the mustache. I, I, I had to say, "Who the fuck are these people?" And then Brian Augustine had to educate me. Uh, and I still don't know which is which. Which one has the mustache? Which one's the fat one? I, that's you. Next. Okay. Yes. Oh, here's an actually. This is a, a decent one from JD. JD, you're getting two in here. So having as a young man and a relative newcomer to professional comics. How did having a property option for film change your views on the industry? I wasn't a young man, but I was new. Not only was I new to the industry, it was the first project I ever did. So I think I've explained before that I was spoiled in that the first book I ever pitched got picked up. Well, the first book I ever pitched got talked about at image for like nine months, didn't get picked up. But then the second one got picked up at Viper comics got put out. And that's the book I worked on when I still had a full-time job and, and young children. And then it was optioned 
almost within, I don't know, a week after the trade came out. And we started talking to TV producers within a week of the first issue coming out. So this was back when everything, everybody I knew was getting shit optioned. Um, to back in uh, back in the mid or the early 2000s, there's a lot this of is the option boom. Yeah, of the 2000s. Yep. And uh, the only way it affected me really was that it gave me a f- and and I knew I was smart enough to know like this is not the norm, but it's not always easy to accept what you know. So I knew that what that that was not norm normal for me. And I knew that like getting like it was featured in Wizard magazine. I knew that that was not normal for a book of this quality, which it was not did not look good. It was a great story, but it did not look good. Um, it was colored well and it was written well, but the artwork was shit. And uh, so I knew that this is not normal and that we were just right in the middle of a, the right time. But it did still kind of mess me up because I thought, well, I'll be able to get other jobs easier now. And that still has never been the case. I've never I've never been to a position where it's been easy for me to get work or work offers have just come in. And I thought that that would have happened following, you know, all the press we got for that book. Um, So to answer his question, I suppose it gave me a false sense of security. Even though I knew better, it was still hard to, 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 to accept it. So it's kind of like, like, you know, I'm kind of tired, but I kind of want that other beer but I know I probably shouldn't grab that other beer because I'm not going to finish it all right. I'm going to I'm going to take two sips of it and I'm going to go to bed. I still grab that beer. I still crack it. I still take two sips of it. I pour it out. I go to bed. So that that's the best uh, analogy I can use is I should have known better, but I couldn't help myself. And it didn't really do anything for me in the long run other than people. I You know, some people still know me from that book or that's how some of the people who follow my work now, they start to follow me at Villains. So, um but it did spoil me and I made decent money off of it. It's still the highest paying, you know, when you factor in all the, the money I got from the movie studios, it, it's still my highest paying book that I've ever done. But, uh, that well is dry as they say. Good. Yeah. Good. Good question. JD. Yeah, buddy. Uh, I have one last, uh, Facebook post here from uh fellow podcaster, Joshua Buckley of the comics exposure podcast. Yes. Um, and his is um, his post is actually five separate questions. Oh my god! So you're kill you're killing me, Josh. I can't handle. All it. right, it, fuck. I'm I'm just gonna read them. Whatever. All right. Uh, one. When is the last time he truly you he truly felt alone in this world? <laughs> and I I I'm going to assume the answer is right before you called me for this episode. Yeah, when I was setting up my setup inside the walk-in closet, I felt like no one loves me, but I'll call Scott. Not that Scott loves uh, me, but it, at least I'll have someone to talk to. All right. I, I think the rest of these questions are all horribly embarrassing for you. Well, why don't okay, why don't we both answer them then? Nope. All right. So, number two, uh, do you look at the toilet paper after you wipe? Yes. All right. Who doesn't? Three, would you Wait would a minute. Rather... Wait a minute. Don't jump nope, don't nope, don't nope. jump ahead three, so fast. Three. Three, would you rather have a taint for a face or have your whole back be your ass? Like the crack all the way up to your neck. Well, I'd rather I could put a shirt on, so I'll do the ass crack up to my neck. Then my, my, okay, my face stays pretty. explain your answer. My face would stay pretty. Okay. I mean, I got to go out right. I gotta go out in public with this face, unfortunately. All right, that's it. Yeah. That's acceptable. Yes, thank Four, you. Four, 
what romantic comedy would you like to draw the graphic novel adaptation for and why? Love Actually, because it's one of my favorite romantic comedies of all time. Now, is Hugh Grant in Love Actually? He is, yes. Okay, because it says, to be more specific, which Hugh Grant rom-com? Yeah. So there you go. There you go. Five. Yes. Uh, your most embarrassing scatological story. Uh, my most embarrassing uh, shit story is that I don't have one because I have full control over my uh, faculties at all times. So that it's actually it is a point of pride that I have never since since I learned to go poo poo on my own. I have never shit myself. So fantastic. Yes. All right. All right. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Yeah. Um, Thanks. Wait, I want to go back to the to looking at the toilet paper. Who doesn't look at the toilet paper? How do you know when your butt's clean if you don't follow through, right? I mean. All right, and our sponsor this week was Samurai Comics. Exactly. They have all your your comic shit. Thanks, Samurai. Thank you, Samurai. All right, Scott, the man who apparently doesn't look at his toilet paper. What did you think? What finally finally tell me how much you loved the crush raspberry sour. I enjoyed this raspberry sour crush as much as I enjoyed this episode. All right. So I enjoyed the Fire Rock Pale Ale from Kona Brewing Company. A lot of the comments on beeradvocate.com said it doesn't have much flavor and it's just another beer. And I will say those are Ah. those are right, but I don't think those are bad things. So I would just I could drink this Fire Rock Pale Ale the way I could drink a Rolling Rock or the way I can drink a PBR. The only problem is it'll never be as cheap with as those your mouth. two. Yeah. It tastes fine. There's nothing wrong with this beer. I'm not going to seek it out. You know, I would not pay $10 for a six-pack if other beers of better quality are $10 a six-pack. But if this is in a bucket of ice at a gathering, I would grab it and drink it, and it wouldn't. I wouldn't think anything about it. Good for you, Kona Brewing of Kona, Hawaii. Uh, let's see. Is that it, Scott? Are we done? With this amazing yeah, with we are done. This amazing episode, We're done. All right, well, it's uh, I, I'm glad that we've been doing this for a year, and uh, that makes me happy. So, yeah, happy anniversary, thanks, buddy. buddy. Uh, you could follow the wonderful Scott on Twitter at Scotty God. You can follow me at Ryan Cody. You can follow the show at Tig Show Tig under or T I G underscore Show. I really fucked that one up. You could email the show now. I finally grew up and got an email for the show at TigShowPod <laughs> at Gmail dot com. And all hey, you edit this shit, you can give it another try. Yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. And all past episodes are available at tigshow.com. Jump on there, buy us around, listen to the shows, tell us how great this particular episode was, and uh, we'll talk to you probably next week. All right, man, I'll talk to you later. Bye, everybody. Good night.